Yeah, my name is Alex, and I'm grateful to be here and to preach the second time here at Church at Five, my third time in English, so be gracious with me. And um, I just want to say thank you for the worship. It was a blessed time for me personally after nearly a whole day of work preaching the third time today, so it was a blessing. Thank you for, for your worship. It was good. So I will, or I'm allowed to finish this series about uh, the Reformation we had in this church, or we are right now still having in this church, 500 years of the Protestant Reformation. And today we have the topic, Christ the King, the future of the Reformation. And before I start with the sermon, I just want to invite you to pray with me for the sermon. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne right now and just um, bow before you and just... Um, yeah, we are, we are just open to, to let you speak into our lives tonight. And Lord Jesus, I pray for myself that you give me wisdom with the language, with the words I choose. And also pray that your Holy Spirit would do um, our work in our hearts tonight. Amen. So I want to start with a hymn, an old hymn today. I normally don't do this, but I will do this um, today. And this is a song called Jesus Christ as King is Reigning. It was originally um, written in German, and it's written, it was written by Philip Friedrich Hiller in the 18th century. And it goes like this. Jesus Christ as King is reigning, God his mighty rule ordaining. All things at his feet shall lie. Let each tongue as Lord confess him and in homage praise and bless him. For his throne is built on high. With the Father honors sharing, cherubim his fame declaring, he is seated on this throne, ruling over earth and heaven, for to him are all things given by the Father as his own. For me, this, this verses, it was written in, in German with 13 verses. In English, it, it has only four. That's okay. But uh, for me, this, uh, this verses just speak uh, about the topic, Christ as King. Yeah, and I wanted want to come back to this um, old hymn uh, later when I finish the sermon. Uh, and this song was written by a Protestant minister um, who was a follower of Johann Albrecht Bengel. Maybe you don't you know Bengel. He was the father of Pietism in Germany. And um, Pietism was a was a refor- um, um, also um, a movement. In, the, in Lutheranism, and that was a, um, a movement that reformed Lutheran, Lutheranism again. Yeah? And I think it is the most uh, important movement after the Reformation. But I will come back to the, to the hymn in the end. So we will finish this sermon series today with a, blick, uh, with a, with a view on Jesus' reign in mind. And... This slogan, the future of the Reformation, or Christ the King, was not a, a slogan of the Reformation or the Reformers, but is borrowed from the, from the feast, Christ the King. What is Christ the King? Does anybody know? The feast, Christ the King. For me, it's, for me it's funny, a little bit funny, because we did this series, 500 Years of Reformation, and it's originally, it's a Roman Catholic tradition to have this feast before Advent, 
before the season of Advent, and it's called um, in, the, in the Roman Catholic tradition, Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. And it's, like I said, the last Sunday in the church year before Advent. And it's a young feast. It was established in 1925 by Pope Pius XI, and in following the remembrance of the First Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And at this council, the church um, came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is from the same substance like the Father is, like God the Father is. So Jesus is eternal God and ruler of the universe like God the Father is, like the Trinity is. I think that's what, what the New Testament teaches. And um, this feast, Christ the King, um, it was developed in, a, in, a, in an interesting time in history because it was um, developed after World War I and before World War II. And we are confessing with this feast, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the, is the true king of the universe and of all the earth. And you know German history, I think so, you know that we were under Nazi Germany um, some years ago, under Hitler, and also there were other dictators like Stalin and Mussolini and so on. So in the German tradition, um, we normally celebrate a different uh, feast, and that's called Ewigkeitssonntag or Totensonntag in German, Sunday in commemoration of the dead, yeah? in remembrance also of the dead and the last things, so death judgment, eternal life. So there is an overlap between Christ the King, the feast, and our German tradition. But I think, for me personally, I like Christ the King as, as a feast more. To look to Jesus is always a good, a good thing. So where's the connection between 500 years of Reformation and the feast Christ, Christ the King? Where's, where's the connection there? And I think it's obvious where the connection is. Firstly, Jesus is king and ruler and will come back as, as king and ruler someday. And he will reform the whole universe, all things, including his church, including his body, including the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, and he will unite his church again. And we will see who really belonged to his body. And secondly... If Jesus is king and ruler and will come back as king and ruler, what does this mean for your personal, for my personal life when he is king and ruler indeed? It does mean personal reformation in your life and in my life. And it's interesting, the word to reform is from the Latin word reformare and it's called, and it's translated, translated re, to remodel or to regenerate or to transform something. And this will be the effect of the second coming of Jesus Christ the reformation of all things that we know as human beings. So, my first point. Jesus is king and ruler of the universe, and one day he will return as king and ruler to this earth. And I know maybe some of you have heard my three sermons before. I don't know. But um, you're not allowed to speak right now. Why do we call Jesus, Jesus Christ? It's not his first and second name, like Alexander Gasnik. So, have you an idea why we call Jesus, Jesus Christ? You're allowed to speak. <laughs> yes? Christ, 
Yeah, amen. That's right, yes. That's why, what, I, what I was looking for, yeah. He's the anointed one. When we confess him, we confess uh, that he's the Christ, the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, God is described as, as a king that Israel rejected. But when we look into the history of the Old Testament, we see God wants to send Israel and the whole world a king that will someday rule the nations with truth and justice and in right. And he would be, like the Old Testament says, Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Yeah? And that is a sovereign title of Jesus. That is a sovereign title of Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, kings and priests and maybe prophets were anointed for their ministry. And we see this even in the Gospels. We see this in John, for example, where Mary anoints Jesus with oil, his feet, six days before Passover. I think this anointing is also anointing for his death that would come, and she knew this. But it's also, we see three verses later in John, we see that, that Jesus is um, entering Jerusalem uh, with a tri triumphal march, and he's celebrated as king of Israel. So the title Christ, the anointed one, could be described as king also. The Old Testament prophets announced the coming of that one king that would come. And the New Testament testifies to the fact that Jesus is indeed this anointed one, this one king that would come and rule in justice. He is the king, the anointed one, the Christ indeed. And also the title, Son of God. Son of God also testifies to uh, the person and the rulership of Jesus Christ. Because God himself, like I said before, is described in the Bible as a king. And God appointed his own son, the son of God, as his own successor of his own throne, like to be ruler for him. And that's what we confess, for example, in the Apostles' Creed when we confess this about Jesus. He is ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And there we have this both, this, um, both biblical truth. Jesus reigns at the right hand of God, the Almighty Father. And the second truth, from there he will come again to be judge of the world. So the first truth, Jesus reigns. Jesus himself confirms this, that he does indeed reign. In Matthew 28, for example. After his resurrection and before his ascension to heaven, he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That should be our confidence when we speak with people about Jesus Christ. He is, to, whom, to, him, to him is given all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. And therefore, we should go and be a light to the world. And I don't know how you feel when you look into our world today, into um, the international political situation right now, between different countries today. I think that there can be a moment where we, where we have fear. Fear of war, for example. And also right now um, in Germany, the government is forming, and we as Christians, 
We should pray like Paul teaches us to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and holiness. And it's good to be reminded when we look into the international politics today that Jesus is indeed Lord and that he reigns. And that, that Caesar or Augustus in his time is not the son of God. He was called Divi Filius, son of God, but Jesus is. And that is true for all human power that will come, even if we are still here a thousand years in this earth. Jesus is king and king alone. We will not bow to any other person than Jesus Christ. And maybe this is true also for your personal situation this year or your personal circumstances in your life. Maybe the things you did the last year or the last week, maybe the last day, did not turn out the way um, you thought they would. Maybe there's doubt in your heart. Maybe your life feels like chaos today. Maybe it feels like you're not in control of your life anymore. Maybe even though it's failure in your life, you're sinning, and you know this. You're really living a life that is not pleasing to God, and you know this. And then it's good to know and to be reminded again, Jesus has everything, everything in our life when we live with him under his mighty hand and under his control. He reigns right now. That is our confidence. That is my confidence and my hope and certainty in my life. That means in every tribulation that we have, in every hardship, every suffering, every failure, Jesus is king and reigns. He protects us and keeps us with his might. And he is our great high priest, like the New Testament teaches, and he's our advocate before God the Father. And to him, to, whom, um, to him is not only given all authority, he also promises to be with us, a few verses later in Matthew 28, to be with us to the very end of the age, through his spirit. He is with you through all this tribulation, chaos, doubt, failure too. I don't know your life, but I fail. <laughs> even, though I, as I'm, uh, even though I'm a pastor, pastor. Yeah, I fail. I'm not as holy as I should be. But it's good to know Jesus has everything under his control. I think personally, you can be sure that everything in your life, good, good things and evil things, bad things, will, accordingly to Romans 8.28, work for your good when you love Jesus. And I want to read this verse Again, and want to remind you again of this truth. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want to read some verses later. And I just want to invite you to, to, to be open-minded, to have an open heart, to let these words that the Apostle Paul says, let, let them sink deep into your heart. He says this. What then shall we, shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the word of God speaking into your life right now. And I want to say amen to this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, that neither death nor life nor anything else can separate you from the love of Christ? Amen, yeah, that's cool. That's a response. That's good. That's a good thing. Like Jesus says in John, I give you eternal life, And you shall never perish. No one can snatch you out of my hand because my Father who has given you to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the hand of my Father. That's such a big truth. That's such a big truth. And maybe it's a legitimate question. Some of you are sitting here. Maybe some of you that have doubts about this, that Jesus is reigning? If Jesus is reigning indeed, why does he not end all evil in this world right now? Why do we have to go through this season of suffering maybe? And I would say yes, he could end all suffering right now. And he could end or could have done this even at his first coming or after his ascension, but he didn't. And I want to tell you why. God does not give up the human race. I don't know if you remember God's words after the great flood where he destroyed nearly all human beings. The first pages of the Bible, like seven chapters. And God is so upset and angry with the whole human race, he destroys nearly everyone. And after this, he says he does not want to do this anymore in this way like he did. And I think the reality of evil and the concurrent reign of Christ at the same time does not disapprove the truth of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus or God. The kingdom of God was inaugurated or dawned at the first advent when Jesus came. But it is not yet really or fully come, fully revealed today. That's why Jesus says before Pilate, yes, Pilate, you're, you're right, I am a king, but my kingdom is not from this world. I'm here to testify for the truth. But the lordship of Jesus, it will become fully visible when he returns in might and power, and that is his second advent. And there were people, even in the first century, um, we read this in Second Peter, that doubted this truth, the sovereignty of Jesus and his second coming, who said, where is his coming, he promised, 
Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of the creation. And now, 2,000 years are gone. But Peter says, as sure as the great flood came, so will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. For God, time is different, says Peter. One day is like a thousand years, and the other way around. So, what is the point? Why does Jesus not end all suffering right now? And Peter tells us why. Peter really tells us why. He says God is gracious, patient, and he's full of love and does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to the repentance and to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. That's why Jesus did not come back, because he wants to win the hearts of man. And he wants to use you and me to do this. And we will stand some, some, at some point in our life, we will stand before Christ, even after our death, when he did not come back in our lifetime, And we have to give account what we did with our lives, too. That's a huge warning, too. A warning for me, too. I'm a pastor here now since one and a half year, and I did not baptize anyone who came fresh or new to Jesus Christ. And my heart goes out to, to, to evangelism, that we reach people really with the gospel. We're here in, in the middle of Freiburg, and we have no, no outreach in, in this church. That should change, and we should pray for this and act. Um, and the second point is Jesus does not only reign, he will also come back. That's what we, we celebrate first Advent right now in December, his first coming. And in the beginning of the year, I uh, preached a sermon uh, on Sunday, um, and we are going through the Gospel of Luke, and I preached a sermon um, about the, uh, the topic um, the humble ruler or the humble king where Jesus came as a human baby small, vulnerable and he came not to destroy the Roman Empire his first coming was marked by humility and by humilia- humiliation and his throne was the cross and his crown was a crown of thorns that was his first coming but his second coming will be a little bit different. And that's why the feast, Christ the King, is reminding us of the more uncomfortable side of Jesus Christ. And I want to confront you with challenging words um, out of the um, book of the Revelation from John, the Apostle John. And it it really can destroy our picture of the needy Jesus that we sometimes, um, yeah, the way we think sometimes about Jesus. And John writes us in chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven 
were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treats the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his tie, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a really different picture that we have in our culture from Jesus. With blonde hair, blue eyes. He will come back with might and power. And maybe that can be Maybe that can strike fear in our hearts to um, read something like this. But that is the word of God and it will be like this. Jesus will come back and judge all human beings. That's why we should go out and preach the good news. And we live in an age of democracy and we have our own past here in Germany under a totalitarian regime, the Nazi, Nazi Germany. And it will be indeed the way uh, like this that when Jesus returns, he will have all authority. And he will unite um, all legisl legislative, all judicative, and all executive power uh, unto himself or in himself. But he will be the only person in the whole history of um, the world where this will be a good thing. Because he's the only person that is true, holy, righteous. And we know Jesus is another king. Jesus is another king, even though his second coming will be with power and glory. Because Jesus will not enrich himself, and he will not oppress others. On the contrary, he's the king who gave his life for all. And his kingdom, like Isaiah 9 says, will be a kingdom of peace. And he will be our prince of peace. But I want to say this again. It's, on the other hand, it's also a, it's a warning. The second coming of Jesus is really a warning because he will come back like we, like we read in Revelation 19. He will come a, a sharp sword out of his mouth. That's a picture of judgment. He will judge the nations. And when you belong to Jesus, I want to ask you this question. How much do you really yearn for the return of Christ. And I was really convicted when I wrote this question because I asked this question myself. How much do I really yearn for the return of Christ? And I was convicted by the first um, Christians because they had the prayer called Maranatha, our Lord, come. They prayed this in the service. They prayed this. It could mean also our Lord has come could mean both, first advent and second advent, but it also means our Lord come. That's, that's, that are, those are the last words of revelation. And the grace of God or of Jesus be with all, but before um, those last, uh, this last um, verse, it's also the prayer called Maranatha, our Lord come. This, can, this really can be an indicator of our spiritual health, Can you pray this with a, um, with a heart that is really longing for this, for the return of Christ? Or are you really like, man, this life is pretty cool. I have everything that I want and I'm not in need of anything. How much do you yearn for the return of Jesus? 
if we belong to Jesus, it will be a good thing when he comes back. It will be the best thing ever. It will mean joy for us as Christians. And even though there are unanswered questions about the end times, about the last things that will happen, um, the Christian world is in disagreement about the uh, end times, but they're in uh, agreement about some things, um, I think, and that is we, will believe, we, we all believe that Jesus will come back one day and that God will make everything new and that we will be in the presence of God forever. Everyone believes this, even though they have different um, thinking about end times. And that will be, that will be um, the best reformation ever, because God will eliminate all evil, and he will make everything new. Elimination of sin, death, all kinds of suffering. The devil will have no power anymore. No power anymore, because God himself will reign, Jesus Christ with us, will reign as king. And that is really good news. And he will transform also our bodies. All our suffering, our bodily suffering will be gone. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no death. And he will restore all creation or recreate, maybe recreate all creation. Give us a new earth. There will be no more floods, no storms to fear, no climate change to fear. And every human being, like Philippians, Philippians 2 says, will bow before Jesus Christ. That also means when you know the book of Revelation, there's a lot of, um, it speaks a lot of, about martyrs who died for the name of Jesus. And, and that's true in church history. That is true. And all the martyrs who died for Jesus' sake will have satisfaction. And the whole world will see will bow before Jesus and will see he was indeed the way, the truth, and the life. He was. And every tongue will confess this. But we, when we believe in him and in his righteousness for us, we will be holy and justified before God too because of the work of Jesus Christ alone. I don't know, when you, when you look into your own life right now, the Bible calls us as Christians Holy ones, I have to struggle with this sometimes because I know my own life. I'm not as holy as I should be. But when Jesus returns and establishes, establishes his kingdom, it will be like this. We will be holy and justified. And there will be no more sin. And that is a great truth too. We are going to reign and rule with Jesus we are going to reign and rule with Jesus. That is a crazy, crazy thought for me, but it will be like this. We will reign with him, share in his power, in his victory. And that is the recovering of Adam and Eve's place that they had above creation in the beginning. We will rightly handle creation. There will be no more thorns and thistles anymore or any tyrannical form of human government. And the, the best point will be for me, we are going to see how gracious and lovingly and just God really is. Because we will see him face to face and it will be like in the beginning, we will walk with him and share communion and time with him. And there will not be this serpent's lie anymore. This you can live a better life, a more fulfilling life independently from God. 
Does God really mean well with you? Does he really have the best in mind for you? We will not believe this lie anymore. And I know I believe this lie sometimes too. But after, after Jesus' return, every doubt, every distrust, even um, as a Christian, we had against God is going to be dispelled. And we will fully understand God's love for us. And that will be a huge um, reason for joy. So, just a few words about a personal reformation. Because Jesus is king and ruler of the whole earth, of the whole world, he also wants to govern, trends or reform and use you in your life. And that is true. Jesus could come back as king today. And what impact should this have in our lives? And in Second Peter, um, it says it should have an impact of a holy life, sanctification in our life. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you really belong to Jesus, have put your trust in Christ, then the claim to power in the life, um, in your life, is you don't belong to you, to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. He bought you with a price. You are his. And an, an adequate response, response to this fact this truth that he bought us with a price, his own body on the cross, should be that we live a life like Romans 12, verse, verses one, to, 1 and 2 says, that is really a worship life. I want to read these verses um, for you again. That is the response our lives as Christians should have, a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... It's not to become holy. It's in view of God's mercy of the gospel. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not only this service, even though it's a a part of this true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed or reformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve What God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the question is, for you and me, is Christ the king in your personal life? Does he rule in your life? Is he in charge of your life? I mean, are there things or parts in your life where he is not, and you know that he's not ruling there? Is he allowed to rule in these parts? Of your life, where do you have areas in your life where you try to govern by your own and not let not Jesus rule? And for me, it's very interesting because um, there's a similar word in Greek for the Latin word reformare that's called metanoia, or in Hebrew, it's called shuf. And in older translations, it's um, sometimes translated as repentance. That's a really old world uh, word. But it really doesn't mean repentance or metanoia in, in Greek. does really mean a change of mind or rethinking, a reversal of your thinking and acting. Like Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in your thinking, in your mind. And that is totally fitting with Luther's first thesis, 
when he says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, turn around, reform yourself or change your mind, he in intended that the entire life of believers should be change of mind, rethinking, trends or reformation. That is what the word means and that is what Paul teaches us in Romans 12 in the first two verses. And that is where Jesus wants to lead us. That is where Jesus wants to lead you and me into a human being, being continually and daily, like Luther says, transformed and let Jesus rule in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you like this verse of Romans 8, 28, that everything will work for our good. But when we read the next verse, verse 29, we read we should be conformed or we are chosen to be conformed to the image of his son. And that means change, to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And also there's also again this question, do we allow that? Do we want this? Do you want this to be changed by Christ? Or are there aspects in your life that you cling to, that you don't want to give up, that you don't want to give to Jesus? It was uh, funny, in the second service today, um, Silas Leng translated me into English, and he's a carpenter. And um, I know when you, when you are a carpenter, you have a, th uh, a piece of wood, and you, you make something out of it. And this can, it does not hurt the wood, but it's, it's a picture. This can really, you, you, you cut off things and you chop things away. And that is how God works sometimes in our lives. This can really hurt when God transforms and changes you in your life. But the funny thing too is, he can make something like this out of this, out of this piece of wood, out of your life. Maybe that looks like chaos or is not under control. Because Zilas Lang built this thing, this pulpit, out of wood. And God can do this with your own life, even when it does not look like this right now. But maybe like a rugged cross. And the last point, Jesus wants to use our lives, like I also said. We are chosen to be kings and priests in him. And that is a huge truth too. We will govern and rule with him, like I said, but we also share in the victory and reign of Jesus over this world, over sin, death, and the devil. And we are priests and priestesses, and we are crying, like Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is our, our duty. Our, our, we are chosen for this, for Christ's sake. And here in the end, I want to come back to Philip Friedrich Hiller's old hymn. Um, Hiller did not experience a life that was easy. Yeah? At the age of two, he lost his own father. And during his lifetime, he lost four children. And he struggled with doubt of belief and temptation of disbelief, even as a Christian or Protestant minister. And At top of, uh, in top of, at top of that, at the age of 52, um, as a Protestant minister and hymn writer, he nearly lost his whole voice. 
so he could no longer exercise his office. And even though six years later after his uh, loss of voice, he wrote this famous hymn, Jesus Christ as King is Reigning. And for me, this is, this is huge. And I want to read, you two, want to read to you at, uh, in the end two verses of this hymn again. And this one verse um, was originally written in German. It's not translated in English, but it's a very important verse. And he says, Give ye sinners your hearts to him, lament ye sick your pains to him, tell him ye poor of your great need. Wounds shall be wounds to heal. A healing salve he knows to give. Riches after death he gives. And then the last verse. And I too, a sinner lowly, will exalt the Lord most holy. Saying as I prostrate lie, Jesus Christ as king is reigning. God his mighty rule ordaining glory to the Lord on high. That is what he wrote. Even though within his circumstances... Jesus Christ as king is reigning. I, a sinner lowly, I will prostrate. And he's also worshiping Jesus in verse 7 with his weaknesses, with his shortcomings. That is worship too. Like in the Psalms, to, con- to cry out, to yearn to Jesus for change. That is okay, that is worship too. And at the same time, He's putting his whole trust in Christ alone and confessing, yes, but still, you are king and you are reigning, even though my circumstances are not looking like this. And that is encouraging for me. And Hilla did not experience physical healing till he died. He did not. Even though I think Jesus could have healed him. But I think what I read in verse 7 here, Hilla experienced inner healing, even though God did not change his uh, illness or sickness. And for me, the paradox in this is, he even speaks to us today through his hymns that he wrote after his sickness. That is a crazy crazy, uh, thing for me, because that means you never know how God will use or can use your circumstances that are maybe bad in higher ways than imaginable. God can make something great out of nothing, out of your life. I, for me, myself, my life sometimes feels like nothing before Christ. Really nothing. But he can make something good out of it. Even though your circumstances are maybe horrible right now. I don't know you. And that's what we want to confess even though we have communion now, we want to confess that we need Jesus, that we need him in all our life's circumstances. And um, I want to give you some questions. When we, I think we will have a quiet time before taking communion, and I want to give you these questions. Um, or I want to encourage you to bring him the areas in your life where there is doubt that Jesus is really good and that he does reign? Where do you need personal reformation maybe in your life? Where are there points in your life where, where you need change in your life? Where do you need reformation? Or maybe where do you need God's gracious intervention in your life 
and personal transformation. So I want to invite Brenton back again. <laughs>